Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 11 to 23. Hear now God's word. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come did anybody notice that we got past verse 14 did anybody notice i was wondering if anybody was paying attention if we were to go much further, if we were to go a little further into chapter 2 of Ephesians 1, you, you come to Ephesians 2, and, and then not too far in, a few verses in, you come to this expression. You were by nature children of wrath. You were by nature children of wrath. I guess I went to, I was thinking about it, poking at that. It's, it's a very, it's a very jarring, a very, very aggressive thing to say. If you are not of God, if you are of this world, even before you knew God, you were by nature of a certain, you were a certain kind of nature. You were by nature a child of wrath. Now, you know, when I say that, I, I think about I, what I thought about was, okay, a question that brought up a question for me because uh, the topic today. Inheritance. So, so I ask you, I ask you, what is a child of wrath? Children of wrath. What, what's their inheritance? Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's a question that seemed to, seemed to jump into my heart as I was thinking about this because I, I look around me and I, here, I see how in, the concept of inheritance, even in this world today, is you know, they know it's a, it's a place of friction. The, the world knows that inheritance is... How many of you have seen this, the show Succession? It's gotten really popular. It's gotten really popular in these days. It's a, it's a, it's, I think it's on HBO, but I can't recommend it. It's very... I can't as a pastor recommend it. It's, it's got a lot of bad stuff in it. I didn't find it particularly interesting. But the pathos of it, the, the grip of it, the, the tension that it's exploring is a very wealthy family struggling fighting, desperately hating each other and grasping for their inheritance. And it's funny, it's, 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 like a, it's a meme in our culture, isn't it? 
How many movies have you seen? They open up, it's a, it's a mahogany office. There's a lawyer sitting behind a desk reading from something, and there's a bunch of people sitting in attendance. And I bet you, even if you didn't know what was going on, if you just saw that, you could put it together. Oh, I know that scene. I know that stereotype. I know that meme. That's a will being read. And that's a setup in most movies, as it is for the show Succession. That's a setup for what? Conflict. Because the inheritance of the children of wrath is what? Dust, judgment, and death. I just never really thought about it when I was thinking about inheritance because that was what charmed my heart here. That's what, that's what drew me. That's what leapt from the page from me. As we go through this part of Ephesians, I, I, I'm stopping, I'm stalling, I'm kind of hovering over words that I think we don't know or maybe we know them too well. And we've heard them before and they're not fresh and they don't pop and I think this is one of them. I, in fact, and this is kind of a little, maybe a little too much information, but sometimes as a pastor... When the subject matter is a little bit boring, you kind of dread preaching it. <laughs> You're like, how am I going to make this interesting? How am I going to make it pop? How am I going to beckon you so that you desire the inheritance of God? And how can I allure you? How can I paint a picture of how wonderful it is? I don't know. I don't know how to do that. But I want to get down to brass tacks, and I want to explore this concept of inheritance with you right now in the Bible in these scriptures as it's being used right here. And the first thing, there's three uses. Take a look here. I, I, I circled them on one of these bulletins. But look in verse 11. We have obtained an inheritance. Inheritance is being referred to in the past tense. Look, look, speed again to verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we're brought into the present tense. A present tense with a future reference. An ongoing present. Then look again in verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And what are, again, we're in the present here, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So I want to know what that is. <laughs> maybe, you know, sometimes I think I'm a preacher. Sometimes I think Jesus made me be a preacher just because I need to hear the gospel. <laughs> because every time I go through this kind of stuff, it, it just, I begin to sort through my heart and see things. I begin to, I begin to believe again. I begin to have hope again. Like, oh, wow. I, I, get, I can feel like I get joy comes in. So I'm very thankful to be speaking about inheritance. But let me, let me point out some oddness right away, right off the bat. This is an odd concept here. It just is. And it gets even odder. Get this. This is kind of funny. So, you know that Jesus Christ dies on a cross, right? That's one of the central facts of Christianity. He dies and he rises again from the dead. He is resurrected to demonstrate to everybody through all space and time and history that he was the Son of God. But, you know, Christ's death, though, in a funny kind of way, serves some functional purposes. Functional purposes. And what I mean by this is that when somebody dies... There's laws, there's rules, there's been laws and rules about people dying forever since people have died. There's been rules about it. And these rules often pertain to inheritance. Follow me here. Christ dies, triggers the inheritance rules. It, it doesn't matter that he's going to get resurrected. 
There's no laws about resurrection. Why? Why are there no laws about resurrection? Because it doesn't happen. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's only happened once. So nobody ever had time to make rules. But there's tons of rules about inheritance. Tons of them. And what's the main one? Somebody's got to die. Jesus died, triggering ipso facto, as if there was some legal barrister in the sky. I guess this is our father. But there's this illegal, all this legal stuff that acted right out of that. Christ died, that means there's an inheritance. Who gets it? Who gets it? Imagine I'm a lawyer telling you right now. Jesus died, there's an inheritance. And everybody gets on the edge of their seat. What did he leave for me? That's the image that is being kind of mined here. And it really is kind of weird, isn't it? The fact that Jesus Christ dies and is resurrected is irrelevant. Somebody dies, it triggers all sorts of stuff. An inheritance. And that's what he's got. That's the clue. And he's inviting us into some of that wonder and interest and wait, this functional, common sense attitude about the Son of God dying means an inheritance has been triggered. And then we can talk about it and claim it and think about it in the future. But there's another thing that's kind of odd about this. And it, it never hit me until I read it this time. Um, in the early Roman Empire, about this time, 50, at least 50, upwards to 80% of the empire were slaves. Now, what kind of an inheritance do you have as a slave? You are the inheritance. You, you don't have possession or property. You are property. Now, the, now the entire Roman Empire was predicated and built on human slavery, trafficking. It was awful. It informs actually most of our documents from the ancient world. They litter, they litter universities. They're never out on display because there are endless, endless documents, endless documents about the sale of slaves because it was big business, baby. It was the way to get things done. It was what powered the empire. Now, who do you think loved the gospel more than just about anybody else when they heard it? Who do you think just radiated with joy when they heard stories? Of the, who do you think Paul's talking to who's going to get jump out of their seat about inheritance? Well, it's all the people who don't have any who are too poor to ever hope for. Praise him. Don't you get, I hear here, something I love. Like, I came from nothing. Came, when you come from nothing, I don't even mind, mind me. We'd be all sitting in the house. I, I'm the oldest of, eight, of six kids. So all eight of us are sitting in there. You know, we were homeless for a long time. We were living, we're living day, you know, day, you know, bread, you know, for the next meal, the next paycheck. We're so poor, the oil's being cut off. And I remember once in a while, my mom would say this little joke. We'd always sit in there and have maybe dinner or sitting around the radio. We didn't have a TV. We used to listen to the radio and listen for, that's how I watched Star Wars the first time, with the radio play. <sighs> anyway. When mom would say this joke, she would, somebody, maybe somebody was coming after the family for something, she would say this little joke. She would go, well, you know what they could do? They could take all we have, and then she would pause, and the whole room would start laughing. All of us would start laughing. We thought that was the funniest thing in the world, because we didn't have anything. It was a joke. They could take everything we have. <laughs> and my mom would just start laughing, and we all start laughing, because we had nothing. 
you've been talking to Dan about what little he has about writing up a will. He's like, what's the point? I don't own any real property. I imagine Paul is writing this letter and early on wanting to tell people about this God who had brokered and given away all things to, the peop- to his children. And I'll bet he, re- he probably saw it. But that idea of inheritance for a people who were slaves was life. Joy, hope. I, can you hear it? it the, reason I, the reason I'm stressing this at all is because I, I just want to, sh- I'm going to do it too. I just want to shake you. I, I'm shaking him because he's right here. Because I want us to be shaken. I want us to hear again. Look, well, I'm going to go further. We're going to hear, once you hear again, how, how wonderful this is. Oh, Father, would you help me? Help me to tell these people how wonderful. Help us show us how wonderful this is. Okay, let's jump in. Let's jump into the text now. Let's look at the first two uses of the word inheritance. First in verse 11, and then in verse 14. I want you to notice something. I want you to notice attention. In him we have obtained an inheritance. And then in verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Those statements are not the same. They do not seem to refer to the same condition, do they? We have obtained an inheritance. What does that say? You got it, it's yours, you own it. We are to look at the deed and title of what this is. It's in your name. You've obtained it. It's yours. Ah, but then the next, in the next breath, it isn't yours. You're still in this place of wanting. Uh, it's not there quite yet. You're, 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 and what do we call it off? It's something that the Bible talks a lot about. Something that it's a part of the lived human experience of all those who are truly transformed by Jesus. And that's this. We're stuck, in a, we feel stuck often, in the now, like where we are right now, but what we yet don't have, what we yet have taste. And we're kind of stuck, and the Bible does this a lot. It, and it'll talk very definitively and very absolutely in very clear terms that I am a glorified, sanctified, I am a, I'm an heir who's inherited and obtained. Okay? But then, in the same language, same kind of tone a little later, it'll say that I haven't yet obtained it, that I'm looking forward to getting it, that I'm yet to be sanctified and made holy, that I've yet to taste glory. And yet we're stuck. I, I actually don't like the now, not yet teaching. I, I, or at least I never have liked it because I guess I never saw it. I, I'll explain myself here in a second. I have always thought of the now, not yet as being a situation I'm in, not a situation that's in me. Does that make sense? Like, I've always, I don't know if this makes sense or not, but I've always thought of the now, not yet, as being a condition or some situation that we're all stuck in. But I never thought of that dynamically as what is explaining all the stuff in me. Aren't you half sinner, half saint? Don't you love God one day and the next have a lascivious desire that strikes you as being so deeply contrary? 
aren't you grabbing, grabbing for more one day? And then you'll find yourself with a brother or sister in church just giving away everything you have. You ever find yourself going back and forth? Part of this now, not yet. Part of it, it's a condition in you. And just knowing that can be so life-giving, can't it? Because it makes so much sense of so many things. It makes sense of all those great scriptures and those times. And you and I have felt it. If you've ever walked with the Lord long enough, you've felt it. And you just feel triumphant. I can't explain why. You just feel like you know the victory of God. And a few days later, you're convinced, if anybody were to talk to you, that you were probably the biggest loser walking. <laughs> and nobody could compare to you. Wickedness, foolishness, and folly. And where is the source of your hope? How can we be that double mind? How can we be that? How can we be so bewildered? Well, verses like this show us. It's not a fun place to be, the now and the not yet, is it? But it is a place of life and growth and the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's trust Him in process. Now, I look, I, you know, so many Christians want to run to heaven and grab everything that's there. But we're not there yet. We have to live where we are, where God puts us, in the weakness He places us, because He has put us there in His love with His intentions full of hope and joy. But we don't see it that way, do we? We want, the, we want the end result. We want to run ahead to the not yet. And we won't let God do His work. And this is where I want to start with. Nothing about the Christian life is industrial. Nothing has an industrial model. Nothing is a broken piece. Get me a repair. Anybody got an extra piece for my soul here? I need a fix. Or, I'm going to... You know, they're all agricultural metaphors. And tell me, can you speed up the growth of a tree? Can you speed the healing of a broken limb on a branch? Can you make a flower bloom before it's time? Nope. And every image of who we are is agricultural. And you know what that means? Baby steps. This is what, honestly, one of a lot of Christian maturities like, it's like this. This is the fastest Christian maturity I've ever seen. Anybody get the picture here? That's what, am I alone? Am I the only one who's feeling this? Of course not. It hurts. But these texts are meant to tell us God knows this, and he's not static, and he's moving. But I want to, ask, I want to add something else. <laughs> take, a look, take, a look at, take a look at the third use of inheritance in verse 18. In verse 18, it's a list of prayer items. And this is the first application. Paul prays, look, look, that I may give you the spirit of wisdom in verse 17, revelation and knowledge of him. What? To do what? Having your hearts, hearts enlightened, eyes of your hearts, knowing the hope to which he's called you. What's the third one? What are the riches? of the glorious inheritance. If you're stuck in a now, not yet situation, and the bewildering parts of that, when you feel unfinished and unfocused and unable to move, ah, this is the point at which Paul is doing right here. This is where we cry out for the Holy Spirit. We need Holy Spirit wisdom all the time when we're navigating that now, not yet kind of problem. 
because it haunts us and it hunts us and it torments us at times. And honestly, if you're a part of some, you know, there's a lot of triumphal people out there you know, telling you you're going to make it, it's going to be great, and you're just going to be so successful. And, 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 and you know, it doesn't happen. <laughs> and, and, but this, this kind of view of Christianity, this kind of view of maturity, it makes sense of failure, doesn't it? Or the weakness along the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Let's pray for Holy Spirit wisdom. Holy Spirit eye. Holy Spirit knowledge. Holy Spirit discernment. Holy Spirit understanding. Because you see, in the end, I can't convince you about the glorious inheritance and what that glory is, can I? I really can't. The Holy Spirit's got to do this. He's got to do one of these things of showing you. Just kind of opening it up. Because the Holy Spirit knows how to make Jesus and God irresistible. He knows just how to do it to make God irresistible. Pray for God to make himself irresistible. Why not? What do you got to lose? It could be a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing to explore, and it's the only way this text makes sense, and Paul has been walking the worlds of glory in these wonderful strident phrases, and it all comes down to, please tell us who you are. Tell us, reveal to us who you are. Otherwise, we won't know. And we'll just stay confused. Amen? <laughs> Praise him that he has. Now, so the Holy Spirit does this. And the Holy Spirit has called us. And, I, and, and it shows us, I have written here in my notes, if, I don't know if this is kind of charming, if this is encouraging or not, but just to give you a little encouragement along the way, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, right? God's made something new in you. And a lot of your frustrations or you just don't know how to be an eternal being. It's like you just don't know how to do it. You're like a little baby trying to be this magnificent creature in Christ, but you just keep falling over because you don't know your own power. You don't know, like there's all sorts of weird things that happen in our lives like that, aren't there? You'll see baby Christians with faith that seems like the size of mountains, greater than a superhero for Jesus, right? Because Jesus just does that. He just gives his power to people like that. And it's an example, those are examples man, of answers to those prayers. But we just don't know what it's, we don't, we don't, we're, we're trying on eternity a lot of times, and we're stumbling around on a cloak that's too big. <laughs> but let's go further. Let's go deeper. Let's, let's go further into this, because we've only begun to scratch the surface of the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's go back to verse 14, 13 to 14. And there's two words to use to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. One we've been already mining, and one we're about to. And the first one is being sealed. Being sealed. Um, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. The first work of the Holy Spirit is to really take the knowing of God and just seal it on you. I mean, this idea of sticking it to you, gluing it on you, sealing it so you can't get it off, pushing it and printing it on you. This idea of a seal has everything from being an impression in, in wax to something being completely covered. This first work of the Spirit is this wonderful work of just, of just, just attaching us to Jesus. That's wonderful, and that's why we pray to the Holy Spirit for this now, not yet, bewildering time. So he will guide us through it. But there's another word described here. Not only did the Spirit seal, what else did he did? He is the guarantee. See the word guarantee? It's in the next, it's in the next, it's in the next uh, verse. The word guarantee there is unfortunate. Because we have an English word that's more accurately reflexive earnest money that's what that that's what that word means earnest money now an earnest money is different than a seal a seal is like a pledge it's like a 
a token. I, I, um, uh, you give somebody a, something that, 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 that shows you're a good faith, that really tries to seal the deal. But an earnest money is different. An earnest money is applied to the loan. When you put down an earnest money for a house, that goes into the price, of the, it goes into the cost of the house. And, when, and, and, it, and there's an interesting idea of, of this, there's a concept here that, that, that the spirit is like an earnest money. He's like, a, he's an installment. Because I haven't even, we haven't even addressed the question of what the inheritance is yet. Right? The spirit's the installment because, what? Because the inheritance All of him. <laughs> he is the inheritance. And all he has. Oh, we could add that in, and we should. And it's added in, in the scripture, because if it doesn't mean something you know, I could touch and taste and feel and know as a human, then I'll, you know, it's, it seems like a jip to me, right? And it, well, it is. Christ became a human because God intends to do human things with our humanity. But, but, all, but this idea that he's a deposit, it's the idea that God, and this is where Christianity gets weird. It gets mystical. It goes places that I don't know how to go. But you're being invited into an inheritance that means all of him. I, let, me, let me see if I can describe this. Christ had wisdom. Christ had holiness. Christ had goodness. Christ's power, Christ's joy. You have that same and that same power and that same joy is being delivered and delivered and promised now, not yet, to you and to me. Wait a second. That's much, much more than that's not, that's not inheritance. That's everything. What do you, that seems, that's all, that's all, that's all there is. There's nothing else left. Yes, 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 yes. You finally got it. God is trying to tell you, Jack, I'm giving you it all. I decided to give it all to you. Everything. Jack, you, Eric, it's all yours. Hey, guess what? My church, my people, my children, it's all yours. Me and everything I've got. Praise him. You know, a careful reading of Ephesians 3, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, will uncover the Trinity. God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then it talks all about Jesus again and again and again. And then the punchline is the Holy Spirit. Why take so much time to put the divinity and the Trinity before you theologically? Aha, because it's all of God for us. All of him engaged in the work for me and for you and giving it. And so this is the point at which it gets weird. You see, it gets mystical. It gets strange. It goes places I don't even know how to... We, you're, she's going to have a divine goodness. He's going to have a divine... He's going to have divine power. He'll have divine wisdom. How much like God will we be? but it's more than we expect, I think. <laughs> and probably more than we're banking on, and probably more than we're even hoping or daring to hope for. You see, God has promised more in himself than anybody can. 
A lot of times we treat Christianity as a solution to guilt and sin and shame. Praise him, that's what it is. It is certainly that, but it is not only that. And it is not merely that. No, it's an adventure. It's an adventure of a reinvention of Ted. <laughs> Holiness of God. And you know, when I think of the things I look forward to, that's the one. That's the one. I can't imagine a me who's holy. I just can't. I can't imagine. But there's a me that's holy out there, right? And my Savior there is. Praise Him. I can't imagine a me that's pure. But I've got Jesus. Praise Him. I can't imagine a version of Eric that's wise. But in Jesus. Right, brother? Praise him. I just said that so Eric would wake up. That was why I said. There's something, there's something we're being offered here, guys, that we have, we have even barely begun to scratch the surface. Here I am as his emissary here to tell you about it. And we're all just going, we can't even, our minds can't get around it. We're, our minds aren't big enough or large enough. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, show us. All he is and all he has. <laughs> and I talked about the touch on this a little bit last week, but do you know you can buy a star? You ever see this? You can buy a star. You know, there's places out there that sell you stars. See? You can get a little certificate. It'll, name, it'll number the star. All the numbers are being cataloged. All the stars are being cataloged by, by, by all these uh, tremendous uh, resources, all these uh, uh, um, telescopes looking at the sky, and they're computerized, and they're, and they're listening. And you can buy a star. But you know what's kind of funny? You're kind of buying it from yourself. <laughs> because it's your inheritance. <laughs> Look at the, and this is why I encourage you to, to, to look, to, to gaze into the star catalogs. Look at what Hubble saw. So you can see what our father built for you because he loves you. And he wants to give you the things of beauty. And those are just hints. Those are just whispers. Look, that's that beautiful nebula that looks like the eye of God staring back at that Hubble telescope. I mean, what the heck is that? But I'll tell you what. He's done more than just give you that. He's also given you his holiness and life. There's just no end here to this joy. My mom used to say when she heard this teaching, because it all comes back to land, right? God, God intends that we're not going to be spirit. We're going to have bodies one day. This is, God's, God's promises are about things in the real world. And uh, my mom used to say, we were driving through the really expensive parts of Philadelphia, the horse farms in Devon. She goes, and she looked and she goes, isn't it nice of them to take care of it for us? And you're a little kid and you're like, What? Well, it's my, my mom's crazy. I remember thinking, she's totally loony. And then she would teach me, no, no, no. God has given us all this already. This belongs to us. They're just taking care of it for themselves. Praise. Now, that brings me to the final point, Angie. This is meant to be a tool for us. It's meant to be a useful inheritance. It's, supposed to, it's, meant, to, it's meant to do a bunch of things. I am. Uh, and the first thing it does, the first thing it does is, is it gives you that perspective, right? All of a sudden you've got, you know, I read it on a bag. There's a little bag. Tal's got some bag in the house. It's like it's got a bunch of business sayings on it. One of the sayings is, hope is not a strategy. You've heard of that? Hope is not a strategy. That's kind of like a classic business byline, right? Um, I think they're wrong. Maybe worldly hope. Because remember, what's worldly hope? 
I hope so. What's godly hope? I hope for. I hope in. <laughs> That's completely different. Hope's not a strategy for the believer. Hope is a conviction that these truths are just unrealized. Yeah. And I can't wait. It lives in a perspective that sees that this world is an anticipation and I am busy waiting and living in it. And my eyes sit on glory. Oh, that's good. That's a new perspective, you see. Now all of a sudden suffering becomes all sorts of things can make sense. All sorts of things can carry hope in them as we endure them because our eyes are fixed on another kingdom. All of a sudden we're able to see it. We're able to know it. I remember meeting this kid in college who was a trust fund kid. You ever meet a trust fund kid? You ever meet a trust fund kid? It's just weird. They're just weird. It's weird. I'm telling you, it's weird. And you're in school, and you're just trying to figure out, hustling, how you're going to make And he's just sitting there going, yeah, I guess so. And he just talked to me. He had no, it almost seemed to defeat his, but he was in school. He was working hard. But there was such a settledness about him. Why aren't you and I like that? Don't, don't you think we have more to hope for than my friend who has had a trust fund? Trust funds go bankrupt. That happens all the time. Executors use the money for themselves, and the people wind up squandering it. Can't do that with him. <laughs> Can't do that with my Savior. Praise him. Praise him. Usefulness of this concept as it appears to us first. The first thing I just want you to hear is hope is a strategy in the Christian life. As his life, its eyes fixed on its Savior. And then I'm thinking about some other applications of this. Golly, did you see one of them? One of the applications is stop looking for, stop Stop hoarding. Stop living for this world. Stop dying for this world, right? Um, did you notice it in our songs today? I never saw this before. I thought it was really sweet. It was in uh, how it was in um, "Beat Out My Vision," which we sang somewhere this morning. Uh, tonight, uh, "Beat Out My Vision." Oh yeah, thou mine inheritance now and always. Third stanza. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and all. This, this text is even preaching my sermon for me. The now, the not yet, and everything, right? It's all there. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Having an inheritance frees me from slavery for people's opinion, doesn't it? Because I don't have to count them. I don't have to worry about them. I'm settled. I'm done. I'm ready. I am prepared it's a wonderful promise in that way right and it frees us from men's opinions it frees us from the rat race you know this whole idea of, of this constant endless accumulation and i want to encourage you do not hoard i don't care i like look i think we're all hoarders at some level i i hoard i, I just am very very discreet about it you know very very discreet i hoard my i have little things i hoard you can ask my wife little things i collect and nobody's allowed to touch them Take a look at my games sometime. No, you can't look at them because they're not yours. They're mine. You see what I mean? We hoard. Maybe you hoard money. Maybe it's just your bank account. But hoarding, the hoard possesses you, and you no longer possess the inheritance in Get rid of it! It's a barrier. It's an obstacle. It's a distraction. It's a lie. And make sure you hear clearly, because this, this is where I think inheritance fails so much. You, this community, some of you are poor, some of you are rich. Some of you have money, some of you don't. But all of y'all are 10 times wealthier than 95% of the world. It's the way it is. 90%, at least. We have a lot. We have a lot. 
And uh, I think it tends, even the poorest amongst us in America at times, can be desensitized to a longing for the things of God and his inheritance. Even the poor, I've learned experience this a lot when you're very poor, can love money as much as the rich. They still have it. They still love it. Still want it. Still live for it. Still worship it. Do not hoard. This, you know, give it up and give it up again. In fact, if you, if I would say do not hoard, but give it all away. And so, and, and then, and I would say, and the third thing I was thinking about this is, is when you come to decisions, how often, and this is a joy, we were talking about a budget this year for the church. And every year in the budget, we try to, I, I always want the budget to look 10% bigger than the last year, just as an act of faith. We build budgets that say we don't, we can't do this. Now, what I'm, what I'm about to say here is that I just, I just think that the Christian, as a believer, we're making decisions always out of abundance, never out of scarcity. If you make decisions out of scarcity, you have a sense of scarcity, you have a fear of scarcity, you're not living here, right? You're not living in inheritance. You're not living in the freedom of the sons and daughters of the king. We have abundance, de facto. Make your decisions thusly or you countenance the will of god in your life for there's no barrier between him and his provision oh he's so good and he's so loving he's so calm and he's so working now as we wind up as as i end up i want to go to that last verse again because you may have misread it i misread it initially the last verse about inheritance in verse 18 what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints Do you see the preposition in? Because there's a punchline here, y'all. There's a punchline to the inheritance talk. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're encouraged about how you live in the here and the now, the the now and the not yet. You know, you got some perspective now, hopefully. Perhaps even now you can have an idea that I want more of God and I want to know what that even looks and feels like. Look, if you don't know what it's like to have more of God, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that that is. He'll show you what that means. (laughs) Don't worry, I'll have to tell you. But it gets down to this last, there's a punchline. There's a punchline to this whole thing. God has an inheritance too. It's you. To me, that's the punchline that's kind of just blow. You look at what it says. His glorious inheritance in the saints. And the way our Father, it's a Zephaniah 3 moment, and God turns on you to say, and don't you get it all? I've given you everything because you. Don't you know you? Don't you know you, Sarah? You are my treasure. <laughs> You're my inheritance. You're the one I'm dying to get to. You're the one that I died to love and know, to gather into my kingdom, to gather my inheritance, because, well, I always get what I want, says the Lord, right? Well, he wants you, and he's got to praise you. And there's this idea, it all kind of flips on its head. And everything I've said has been very man-centered and it's appropriate. God has shown his love and his grace to us, right? As humans, right? And we're welcomed into it. And he welcomed into it fully. But I want you to hear something. That's all just the other half of the fact that God has delighted and wants to inherit you as his possession. That's wonderful. And that brings us to the table of grace. I think that's all I I have us pray. Oh, dear Father.
And I thank you for your word. I just figured you were going to disinherit me a long time ago. <sighs> but you never did. Because I, I was one of your treasures. That was your inheritance. I was too dumb to see that. Too foolish to realize what that must mean. <sighs> Father, we pray for the Holy Spirit. I, I would pray for the Holy Spirit to get down into our bones, get down to our souls, get down to what makes us tick inside. Holy Spirit, if there's people here who, who just don't really know, just don't know you, haven't given their lives to you yet, if they have not yet surrendered to you and uh, cried out to you in their sin, then they're still children of wrath. And it makes me sad because all this inheritance talk is, ain't going to help them any. I pray if anybody doesn't know Jesus today that they would know him and that you would make yourself known right now. And Father, for those of us that our hearts have been distracted and discouraged, and maybe we've just been focused on just getting more for ourselves, fattening our own, our own pocketbooks or whatever it is, getting more and more for us, being deluded, forgetting we have an inheritance. All those things, Father. Forgetting our inheritance. Forgetting. Would you refresh us? Would you do that? Would you, would you answer the prayer that Paul's praying right here, that, that, that our eyes would be enlightened, that we would, oh, we'd see it. We'd see the treasure we have in Jesus. The treasure that we have in you. I know, Father, I, I want that same holiness that Jesus has. And I want it for me, and I want it for my people. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus.